Well, good morning, everyone. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Brian Bethke. I'm the North Andover campus pastor, and I have the privilege to bring you God's word today on this uh, snowy day where God has his glory on display for us to, uh, to witness. And uh, I think it's a little more magical for me since this is my first winter in Massachusetts, so I'm all excited. Check with me in a couple months, and we'll see what happens. Um, as a matter of fact, I just got back from California, so I got a little sun on my face, and uh, we, we took a little vacation there, and there was a lot of anticipation as we got set to fly to California, and there was anticipation coming back to Massachusetts. And this whole season, this Advent season, is filled with anticipation. And that's what our sermon series is, is titled. It's, it's anticipation, and we've been looking at these prophecies in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Christ. And today, we will look at a king in the line of David. We'll look at the prophecy that there will be a king that will be in the line of David. And we see that in 2 Samuel 7, 11 through 16, God makes a covenant with David. He tells him that his throne will be established forever. And then in the Luke 1, 26 through 38, which was just read, we see that the angel Gabriel tells Mary that this covenant was fulfilled in Christ. He says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And in between 2 Samuel and Luke, we have a bunch of these prophecies explaining more about this Davidic king. And this morning what I want to do is I want to look at a specific prophecy, the one that we see in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. So if you're not there, if you could go ahead and turn to Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. It's also on the back of your bulletins. Now, a couple weeks ago, I went to a church service, and I was sitting in the pews, and the topic was Christ as King. And the pastor started off in his, his message, and he said, Christ being King rubs me the wrong way. And then he just went from that, went to that direction. And I had a visceral reaction to that. I was sitting in the pews, and I was ready to jump up and say, you know, say something. I had thought of all these things I was going to say. I, it was the work of the Holy Spirit that restrained me. <laughs> and as I started processing this, I realized that I was brought to a crisis point. As I processed this some more, I realized that the claim of Christ as king brings everyone to a crisis point, no matter where they're at in their faith journey. If you truthfully and adequately address this claim as Christ is king, you will find yourself in an impasse. You'll find yourself at a crisis point. And whatever decision you make will have life-altering implications. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to look at three things. I want to look at the advent, the character, and the reign of the promised Davidic king in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. And I want to bring us all to this crisis point and have us deal with it. So let me pray and ask God to bless our time here. Father, we come to you right now, and we ask that your spirit would just illuminate your word. Teach us the things that we do not know. May you reign in our hearts. May you speak to us today through your word, through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing I want to look at is the advent of the Davidic king, or the coming of the Davidic king. Verse 6 says, For to us a child is born. To us, a son is given. And we see that 
Isaiah is writing a prophecy of something that has not happened yet during his time, yet he writes it in a way as if it had already happened. He's that certain that it will happen. He writes it with that amount of certainty. We continue, and it says, and the government will be on his shoulders. This, this king that will come to us will have all authority. And as we start to ponder this, as we start to process this, the, the crisis point starts to take shape. First, we must come to grips with the how. How is this king to come to us? And this is the same question that the unwed Mary asked the angel Gabriel in Luke 1.34. She said, how will this be since I am a virgin? And we are told it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. For to us, a child is born. God would use supernatural means to enter this world naturally to take on our nature so that we could be renewed. And that's the heart of the gospel message. That God created the world and it was good. Not only was it good, it was very good. Yet sin entered in the world. And there was a problem. We were separated from God. Yet God didn't leave us in that plight. He went and he entered our world. He was born of a virgin and lived a perfect and righteous life. Yet he was rejected by men. He was nailed to a cross. He was buried. But he overcame death. He conquered death. And he was resurrected. And we put our faith and trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. We too are resurrected to eternal life with him. And it doesn't end there. He's renewing this world. He'll one day come back and reign on his throne. And this world is being renewed. And we have a hand in that. This, this coming, this, this coming king, this child, is at the very heart of the gospel message. Second, we must come to grips with the why. Why would God enter our world? I mean, we're not that good. We read, to us, a son is given. He is a gift. You ever, have you ever received a gift and you're like, I can't even, like, this gift is so huge. Like, I can't believe you gave it to me. This is unbelievable. It just blows me away. It's unfathomable. It's the same thing with this. He was given to us as a gift. We can't comprehend it. It makes no sense to us. Why would God want to enter our pain, our suffering, our limitations, and our temptations? I mean, if it were me, I'd start over. I'd be like, you know what, let's start over. I might even turn my back. Or I might just send somebody else to do it. Yet God does not leave us or forsake us, even though he deserves to, and he has every right to as our creator. One author puts it this way. The incarnation means that for whatever reason, God chose to let us fall, to suffer, to be subject to sorrow and death. He has nonetheless had the honesty and courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of the human experience from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his while. This is the claim. This is the claim that God entered into our world and experienced everything as we did. And this is an exclusive claim that's unmatched. There's no other world religion that will go and claim this. And we must address this claim. We must wrestle with this claim. But before we do that, let's look at the character of the Davidic king. Now, 
In ancient times, and even today, royal figures will take on these inflated titles. You know, so-and-so, the great, the magnificent, the benevolent, yada, 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 all that stuff. And we look here that there are these titles that are attributed to Christ, to this Messiah, to this coming Davidic king. We continue, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Now, I think in our English language, because it changes so much, words kind of lose their meaning and their, and their weightiness. For example, the word awesome. I'm from California. We use awesome all of the time. This word wonderful, it's, he's full of wonder. He's full of mystery. He's untamed. He's too wonderful to fully comprehend. And he's the embodiment of wisdom. He's a wonderful counselor. See, Jesus knows you personally. He understands you completely. He diagnoses you properly, and he delivers you completely. He's a wonderful counselor. He's also a mighty God. He has great power and is sovereign over this universe. Why? Because he's the creator. Colossians 1.16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Christ is the agent of creation. He is the creator God, and it's all for him. He's the sovereign ruler because he's the sovereign creator. Read that he's the everlasting father. Now, this does not speak of the first member of the Trinity. This does not speak of the father. Instead, it speaks of the character of Christ, his ever-present Love, his eternal love, his care, his protection, just as a father would love, care, and protect their children. He is a king that is like a shepherd. He's a king that sacrificed himself and gave up his life for his elect. He's an everlasting, loving father. He's also the prince of peace. And this world is seeking peace. And oftentimes, we, we think that we must seek peace out there. It's, it's, it's the problem out there. That's where we need to address the peace issue. But yet, the Prince of Peace comes and brings true peace. The peace that starts with the renewal of the human heart and the human condition through the power of the gospel. But one day, he will come back. and He'll sit on his throne. and He'll reign in peace. This was the claim. This is the claim. These titles are the claim of Christ. We see that this is the claim of the prophets about Christ. This is the claim of angel, the angel Gabriel to Mary. And this is the claim of Christ during his ministry. He claimed all these titles for himself. He says, I have fulfilled these things. This is a lofty claim. So we see the crisis point is, is becoming more pronounced. Because we must deal with these character claims, these titles, without trying to maneuver around them for the sake of political correctness or traditionalism. We have to address these things. These are lofty things. There's some bold claims. But before we address these, let's look at one final thing. The reign of the Davidic king. Verse 7 says, 
of the greatness or the increase of his government or the dominance of his legal authority. He has legal authority over all because he is the creator. He is the sovereign ruler. And peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time and forever. We see in Christ everlasting peace, perfect justice, and eternal righteousness are established and upheld because he is perfect and just. This is his very nature. Christ cannot rule any other way because that's who he is. He's not this authoritarian that comes in. He's not an unjust king. He's the perfect king. He brings justice, the justice that we seek. He is righteous. He brings this peace. He can't be something that he's not. He can't rule in a way that he's not. He cannot deny his own nature. We ask ourselves, how will this come to pass, though? We read, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. He will see it through entirely. God will ensure that this happens. This is a guaranteed reign. This isn't just words. This is guaranteed because God has said it. As the angel Gabriel told Mary in Luke 137, for no word from God will ever fail. If God says it, it's going to happen. It's never going to fail. The fact is, is God will get his glory. He'll get his glory. He'll ensure that he gets his glory. And he's just and perfect and righteous to do that. Because if he, he, he didn't seek his own glory, he would cease from being just and righteous and perfect. So he's going to get his glory. We see that the claim of this rule just doesn't apply to Christmas. It, it applies beyond Christmas and forever. It's global. It's systemic. It's It's huge. He's saying, I will rule now and forevermore. Daniel 7.14 puts it well when he says, He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So let me recap where we're at, just so I could frame this well as it pertains to where we're at, what we have to deal with. So we have a king, the son of God, who enters into our world naturally through supernatural means. And then he claims for himself all of these titles, these magnificent titles. He is perfect. He is just. He is magnificent. He is sovereign king. He's exclusive in excellence. And he reigns now and forevermore. This is what he's claiming. This is what was fulfilled in Christ, and we have to wrestle with this. So let's deal with this. Let's deal with this honestly and truthfully. So here's where we're at. Either Christ is king, or he's a fraud. That's it. That's all you have. That's the only choice that you have. Because the claims that are made are so outlandish, are so huge. It's either true and he's king and we fall on our knees in praise, or he's a fraud. And this is the worst lie that's bamboozled millions and millions of people through the centuries. There's no middle ground here. 
There's no, hey, he's a good guy. Good people don't tell huge lies that take people off on a path, millions of people throughout centuries. He's either the king or he's not. That's where we're at. That's the crisis point that every person must come to. You can't take that middle ground. If you take that middle ground, you're committing intellectual suicide because it makes no sense. And the people of Christ's day understood that. Anyone Christ came across had a visceral reaction. They either fell on their knees and recognized him as king of the universe or they hated him. That was it. The line in the sand was drawn. And I'm not drawing that line. God's drawing that line. Now, perhaps you're here and you're, you're saying, well, I don't believe. I don't, I don't believe the claim. But maybe you're like Mary, where you don't believe because you can't possibly comprehend. How will this come to be? Maybe that's you. You're open, though. I would like to submit something to you for your consideration. I was reading that the ancient playwrights, when they used to teach their drama students, they told them that they should never introduce a god into their play unless things got really bad and needed to get worked out. I would submit to you that things are pretty bad. Technology, education, and social engineering have proven not to fix things globally or systemically. So can you at least consider that it's time to introduce God into the scene? Perhaps even your scene. If you want to explore that, we'd love to talk with you after, afterwards here with our prayer partners. So that's the first crisis everyone must come, come to, must, must reconcile. The second one is a, is a second layer. And most of you are like me. You said, Yes, I believe Christ is king, and I said that a long time ago. I believe because I say I, I, I believe he's king, but do I live it? And that's the crisis point that I came to. Am I living in the reality as Christ is king? You see, the sermon that I listened to, as unbiblical and wrong that it was, it touched on a nerve for me. Am I living in the reality of Christ is king in my life? I say it. I pronounce it, I was willing to jump in the middle of a church service and yell at a pastor for it. But do I live it? That's the crisis point those of us that have said yes have to come to. Is Christ reigning on the throne of my life, on my heart, in my future? Is Christ enough? All of us must answer, answer this. And if we say yes, then... This means our life takes a totally different trajectory. It, it, we see things from a different perspective. If Christ is truly king, then everything I do is for his service and an act of worship. Everything I say is for the glory of his praise. Everything I have is his and a gift of his grace. Every choice I make is made under his wise counsel. Every person and circumstance in my life is there for a purpose that he has called me to. Every day under his rule and his kingdom is better than the day before. Every word of affirmation and validation only matter when they come from him. Every fiber of my being can't wait to be in his presence. If Christ is my king, then I'm willing to give up everything. Everything. Even my life for the expansion of his kingdom and the glory of his name. If Christ is my king, this Advent season is not about presents, Santas, elves on the shelf, 
parties. It's about celebrating the king now and forevermore and living in the anticipation of his return. For in the first advent, the Davidic king came in weakness as a baby, but the second he will come and reign in power. And I live in the reality of Christ as my king and that truth. If Christ is my king, everything changes. And this was the genesis of my crisis point, my impasse. I'm not going to sit here and say I got it all worked out. I'm like you. I'm still figuring this out. But there's a desire. There's a a desire there. I want Christ to, to reign in my life. And I have to ask you, where are you at with that? Is Christ your king? Do you live in the reality of him being your king? Are you willing to change everything for your king? Let me encourage you. What if we took this seriously? What if we took this seriously? What if we took this seriously and we said, you are our king, Lord Jesus, and we fell on our faces in the reality of Christ as king? Let's... Why don't we let the anticipation of, this, of, of Advent overtake us until we see Jesus face to face? Instead of it just stopping, let's just let this continue all year round until we see Jesus face to face because we can't wait to see our King. Let's make this season the season where our whole lives change for his glory as we herald him in word and deed as King of the universe. Let's encourage each other. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for sending your Son, our King Jesus, for us. I pray as we come to these crisis points, these impasses, wherever we're at in our faith journey, that you would give us wisdom to navigate these things, that you would give us courage to make choices for your glory, to take this claim seriously. I thank you for being our king. I thank you for having everything under your control, in control. I pray that there would be a fervency of fire to serve you in every aspect of our life, with every fiber of our being, because you are the king of the universe, the one that knows us completely, understands us so well. So let us live in that reality. Let us live in that freedom, that boldness. We love you, Lord, and we just want to see you glorified. We ask this all in Jesus' name.